That is not our text for today, by the way. This is a, <laughs> woo, uh, that is a supplement to what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be reading and studying together James chapter 3 today, dealing with taming of the tongue. James chapter 3, the taming of the tongue. <coughs> And as we begin, please join me in prayer. A great and gracious Lord, you who gives all good gifts, the Father of lights in whom there is no shifting or shadow or variation due to change, you are always right and true in your words, and we very often have trouble with this uh, issue of taming our tongues. We need your wisdom, and so we come to you and ask that you would give it unbegrudgingly to those who ask uh, that you would meet us with the wisdom of your word, meet us with the grace of your spirit, help us to see the only one who is the perfect man, uh, to have our eyes drawn toward Jesus, to believe more in you, uh, and to think less of ourselves, and so become worshipers of you more and more. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. James chapter 3. Now, by way of introduction, before we get into James chapter 3, what we're doing for a few weeks at the end of the year here, we've now finished up Acts with uh, Dr. Stephen R. Berry, uh, and uh, we're taking a little break before we come back in the spring to, tar- to start another series. Uh, we're going to be looking first at worship when we come back together in the spring, uh, in January, and then really winter, um, but uh, we're going to be looking at worship and then the sky's the limit. We'll be looking at something else to be determined, and we're filling in a few weeks, and so we've got a few different teachers, and that means I've got to fill one week. Now, now that is uh, something that is a bit of a burden, um, for me at least. I always find it very difficult just to say, all right, teach a thing. Now, I really like the fact that we uh, in preaching, we, we pick a book and we just go through it, because I don't have to worry or wonder, well, what am I going to preach next week? Well, I'm going to keep going in 1 Corinthians, actually. Um, but when I was in seminary and the professors would say, all right, it's your homiletics class, pick a passage in the New Testament to preach on. You mean the whole New Testament? Like all of it? Like any, anything? Uh, um, and so for me, trying to narrow this down, um, it took almost as long to decide what we were going to study as it took to actually study it. Uh, But James is really good for a one-off study. Uh, There is an overarching theme in James. He's very concerned about the way that our works uh, show our faith, our profession of faith, and and our works ought to match up, and we ought to uh, see the one in the other. Uh, And so there's this overarching theme, but but the individual pieces of James can pretty easily be broken apart. Uh, It's easy to, to have them stand alone. In that way, James has sometimes been referred to as the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's a lot like wisdom literature, where you read through the Proverbs, and there's, there's a theme, and, and there are some pieces that fit together, but by and large, you can take them piecemeal, and you can just look at them uh, individually. Uh, and just like the wisdom literature, the, the Proverbs of the Old Testament, James really has a major emphasis on speech, and right speech in the life of the believer. Uh, Now, it shows up in chapter 3, but it also shows up in other places in James that we'll look at, Uh, but I thought it'd be fun to start with some of the Proverbs that speak of uh, controlling the tongue. Some of them are are pretty good, pretty poignant. Uh, Proverbs 12, 18, 
There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Okay, so the difference between a, a sword uh, stabbing and harming versus healing, a healing touch there. Uh, Proverbs 18.6, I like this one. A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. That's a good one. Uh, what do you want to do with a person whose mouth just runs before them? You, you want to take them and shake them and beat them, perhaps, uh, so his mouth invites a beating. Proverbs 18.21, death and life, are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Proverbs 25, 23, the north wind brings forth rain, and a backbiting tongue, angry looks. What comes when you have a backbiting tongue? Well, people look at you sort of... Um, so James is pretty good for a standalone, uh, because we can do this, and, and it sort of fits. We can just look at, at James 3 and, and get a lot of, of what's in here. I think it's also pretty good because... Now, as James points out, this is a problem that I think we all deal with. Uh, he says that no one is able to tame the tongue. Uh, where we may be able to tame other things and bring our body into submission and stay away from some of the other sins of the flesh, the tongue is always there and always available and always at a moment's notice. Uh, can we rattle off something that is displeasing to the Lord or condemning of other men? Uh, and so this is a problem for all of us. We probably all have stories and memories of times that we said things that we wish we could take back, and we can't. Uh, and so this is a, a poignant study, I think, for us today. Now, with that little bit of an introduction, let's go ahead and read James chapter 3. And that introduction served exactly the purpose that I was hoping for it to serve, because now the rest of you are here. Uh, James chapter 3, we're going to read the whole chapter We'll probably only talk about verses 1 through 12, uh, although verses 13 through 18, I think, are connected uh, and can help us to understand what he's talking about in verses 1 through 12, but uh, we're going to read the whole thing and see how far we go. So here's James, chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways, and if Anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. 
does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? <coughs> Excuse me. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Thus ends the reading of God's word. May he bless it to our reading and our hearing. Now, this is a highly practical passage. Uh, this is typical James. He is interested in the nuts and bolts of our lives and what we do with our mouths, and, and it's also interested in the way that we interact with one another. There is this large community focus uh, in the whole letter of James, dealing with how we interact with others in the church, uh, sometimes others outside of the church, and what our actions can do or cause or the effects they can have on those who are around us. And so uh, in, in typical fashion, he looks at the tongue also as something that is part of our interaction with one another. It's not just something that affects us. It's not this sin that we can say, well, yeah, this is just about me, and, and it only affects me. No, no, words have a, a, a potential tendency to wreak havoc in our lives and in a community of believers. Um, but a bit like uh, wisdom literature in the Old Testament, it's highly practical, but he's not giving us step-by-step -step instructions. He's not saying, okay, here, here's a five-step plan for controlling your tongue. First, count to ten. Second, you know, he's not doing that sort of thing. Rather, he's giving us these warning statements. He's, he's calling us to see the danger of an unbridled tongue, but he really leaves the practical day-to-day uh, -day application to us. That's what wisdom is all about. I've heard someone say that wisdom is the art of steering through life. And so sometimes to know how to steer through life, you've got to know where the potholes are and those things to avoid. Uh, never mind. Uh, you've got to know where those potholes are and those things to avoid to steer well, to, to avoid uh, falling into trouble. Uh, and this is what James is doing. And he, he wants us to know that there is this potential danger with the wrong use of the tongue. I think there are a few dangers that he points out in this passage. And again, when I'm teaching Sunday school, man, I wish I could come up with sermon outlines as easily as it seems uh, Sunday school outlines come together. Um, so what are the warnings that he gives us? One, that the tongue has a disproportionate ability to direct the man or the woman. It is a small thing, and yet it makes great boast, and for good reason, because the tongue controls an awful lot or, or directs an awful lot. You can think of, uh, of the way that so many wars and battles and kingdoms have, have come and gone because of the words that someone spoke. I heard uh, someone use the example, think of World War II, and you've got this entire uh, German nationalistic movement by one savvy speaker who stood there and waved his finger 
But he used his mouth to great effect, and the entire German nation said, well, yeah, let's, uh, let's get rid of these other people and all the havoc that was brought upon Germany and, and uh, everything else that they touched. And now, on the other side, you've got somebody like a Winston Churchill, uh, who was a master of words himself and would stay up late at night crafting these sentences to, to put before the nation, to rally the troops. And there were men who served and fought on both sides and gave of themselves, and in large part, they're motivated because of the words that they heard. So, so there's a disproportionate ability to direct the man and, and really things outside of the man or the woman as well. Second, there is an uncontrollable propensity toward evil. Now let's think about that in the way that James is putting it forth here. He says, no human being can tame the tongue. We're going to come back and talk about, well, can the tongue be tamed at all? Uh, but I think in our natural abilities, here is one of the first ways to give away uh, the sin that is hiding in your heart. It is what comes out of your mouth. Isn't that what Jesus said? It's not what goes into a person that defiles them, but what comes out. For out of the heart... Uh, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You want to see what's really in a natural person devoid of the work of the Holy Spirit? Listen to what they say. Listen to the things that are important to them and the, and the way that they rail against others. There is this uncontrollable propensity toward evil, and the tongue is very often involved in that. There's also an unparalleled capacity to reveal the heart. If it really is that, that out of the mouth, uh, the abundance of the heart speaks, then that shows what is inside. And that's one of the points that, that James make here, makes here, just like uh, Jesus did. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. It shows what is in our heart when we see the things that come out of our mouth. So that's a, a, a brief overview. Here are some of the warnings that, that James wants us to have. This disproportionate ability to direct the man or the woman, the uncontrollable propensity toward evil, and the unparalleled capacity to reveal the heart. Now, so there's my overview. Um, but let's go back and, and walk through it. Just in those first five or, or, or six, so the, in the ESV it splits that fifth verse in half uh, between the two paragraphs. But just in that first paragraph, um, what is it that grabs you? Things that are, are puzzling or things that you say, wow, I, I've never thought about it like this. Or, or something that, that seems strange to you, maybe? What do you see there that, that stands out? Mike? Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. So here's a, here's a warning that is especially for those who are in positions of authority and teaching. Uh, Bill? Oh, I was just going to say, uh, right now you can communicate not only with our tongues, but through speaking words. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, so this, in this passage, he's using tongue, but I think you're right, Bill. It, it's sort of a stand-in for all, any sort of communication that we can make. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Im Imagine the trouble and the length of application 
that James would have to draw out if he lived in an age where there was an internet where you could get on a, a chat board or a message board somewhere anonymously and post things about other people and rip them to shreds and hide behind this wall where you say, oh, well, it's, it's just words and sticks and stones and all that sort of thing. Or, or the way you know, we, we see the media talking about social media bullying. Uh, and, and the way that you can really just jump on top of, you know, the, the things that are passed in quiet notes in classrooms that used to happen now happen out in public, uh, out in public media somewhere. And so these, these things, these rumors get swirled around kids, and it's devastating. Uh, and there's a, there's a real problem there. And it's another one of these, yeah, that's the tongue. Even though it's being done, you know, text messages or, or wherever with our thumbs, that's out of the out of the heart. Our our mouth is speaking. Our tongue, our thumbs are typing. Bill. Yeah, I'm having the same thing. Uh, Mike said, mm -hmm. uh, "If you're going to speak, then don't try to speak in order to study." Oh yeah. 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 Absolutely. So so there is this warning here, especially for teachers. Now. I like that you brought that up, Mike. Um, what is this idea here that teachers are judged with a greater strictness? I mean, the Bible says that God is the judge who judges rightly and justly. So why do some, those who are in teaching positions, uh, why do some receive a greater judgment? And, and is that even the judgment that we're talking about? Are we talking about the judgment of men the way that others think about you and look at you and the ways that you say things, or are we talking about a divine judgment? So maybe I, I jumped too far ahead here. Chris, I'll get to you next, Rob. Chris. I think it's divine You think it's divine judgment? So there's, there's a heightened sense of responsibility almost. Uh, the, the, we're not just talking about private words, words that just represent you, but especially in teaching, especially in teaching in the church, uh, it is words that are meant to represent the Lord uh, as his ambassadors. And, and we can think about that in all sorts of different areas, but I, I think you're right. Uh, and, and I think there are some other passages that maybe we'll, we'll look up that will correlate that. Rob, what did you want to add to the discussion? Okay. Mm -hmm. 
the tongue is a small member, but it, it boasts great things. Yeah. 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 Yeah, what are the old, uh, the old John Wayne movies? Uh, white men speak with forked tongue. Um, kind of like a serpent, but, you know, and, and maybe it's uh, not applicable here, but, uh, but this idea that um, we, we speak one thing and we give one intention, but on, behind we're, we're hiding it. Kind of like the serpent in the garden. God, God's holding out on you. He doesn't really care about you and, and what it is. Right. Right, right. He, he said, you'll not surely die. God knows that you'll be like him. Uh, and, and this sort of speaking one thing and, and hiding the intention uh, behind the heart. Yeah. Yeah, venom of ass, how aptly put. Becky? Ooh, good. Let's find out. Let's turn to Hebrews 13. Thank you, Becky. So this is one of these cross-references that I had in mind here. It's in Hebrews chapter 13, which is easy to get to if you're already in James. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 Becky, can you read that for us? Mm hmm. Okay. So here's this public speech that not only are teachers and leaders in the church speaking uh, words that could be personally harmful, um, but could misrepresent God and could uh, mislead those uh, who are under their care, and they have to be held accountable. They will be held accountable. So I think, yeah, this, this lends credence to the idea that this is a divine judgment. It's not an unfair judgment, uh, but to those to whom much is given, much is required. Uh, those who take a place of authority and teaching in the church will be judged for their teaching and the things that they've said. Uh, this is uh, a warning for any of you who teach. I think this is, this is wider as well, though, than just in the church. What about parents? You have others under your care, in your, in your shepherding flock, in your home. You will be held accountable for the things you teach your children. You will be held accountable for the things you miss teaching your children. And you live and profess the gospel, and your kids grow up and do not hear the gospel in the home, you will be held accountable. This is a warning. It's something we should take seriously and something we should aim to correct. But by the grace of God, uh, he covers over so many of our sins that even this warning shouldn't cause us to despair, but rather to lament of ourselves and say, oh Lord, I can't control the tongue. So sometimes there are things that we should not speak. Sometimes there are things we ought to speak. And both of those, I think, will be held accountable for. Jay? Let's do it. Lamentations, here we go. 
Yeah. But, but this, this grows as we understand, well, who are the people that we influence? You know, I was reading some of the commentaries, and they said, James is, is so vivid in the way that he teaches. Um, it's almost as though he had some relative that he learned from uh, in how to use parables and pictures from common everyday life uh, that he could now put into practice. Of course, he did. His brother, Jesus, was... Uh, wonderful at that, and James does the same thing, and all throughout he's got so many illustrations. Well, right in this same paragraph, some of the commentators are saying, well, James begins by talking about teachers, but then he shifts, and he's just talking generally about the use of the tongue, because in the end, he says, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Now, before he says that in verse 5, he has a few illustrations. We put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us. And these ships, we just read Acts, and Paul was shipwrecked in the Mediterranean world with 237 people. That's a large ship. These, these grain freighters that would go back and forth, they knew large ships. And yet they're steered by a small rudder. And some of these commentators I read, they said, well... He's mixing his metaphors here because he's talking about a small thing that steers, but you're not really steered by your tongue, but you are, aren't you? And teachers use their tongue to steer others. I think he's still very much speaking about the way that we use the tongue to direct others, the way that we use the tongue to teach and to instruct, and the effect that that has on, on those who are around us. Bill and then Rob. <clears throat> Yeah, um, for those who cause one of these little ones to sin, it's better that they would have a millstone hang, hung around their neck and thrown into the depths of the sea. Uh, so this is a warning, uh, as much wisdom literature is, uh, that, that we need to be careful with the use of our tongue, especially those of you that teach. And I bet in some capacity you all teach somebody. You might not be standing where I'm standing, but you all teach somebody. Somebody listens to you. And be careful the way that you direct. Rob. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good point. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He is moving into universalities here. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good points. I, I appreciate you, you saying that, Rob. I'll get to Scott in just a minute. Um, and, it, and it makes me think of um, creation. God could have created in any way that he chose. He could, have, he could have simply, poof, and there it was, and thought it into existence. He didn't need to speak, but he did. And we call that you know, the divine fiat, the, the speaking, uh, God's, God's word that speaks creation into existence. Now, there are people who take that and twist it, and we need to be careful. Uh, you, you get these, these terrible... Eastern philosophies, which is really all it is, this idea of the power of positive thinking. Think and grow rich. Speak your reality into existence. And if you name it, you claim it, and this will happen. Well, no, uh, because you don't have the divine power of, of speaking those realities. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, but it's very true. Yeah, I appreciate that. Scott. with a high hand. Leviticus, Numbers, Pentateuch, yeah, it's in there. It's in there. And, and the word is, you know, a high hand. Uh, a sin of ignorance or a sin with high hand. That, that are you doing this uh, in a sense, um, you know, ignorance of the law is not an excuse not to obey the law. Um, but full knowledge of the law uh, is all the more responsibility when you sin with a high hand, in a sense. Yeah, it was. It was. Yep, yep. Good. Anything else in this first little point before we move on? Who is the perfect man uh, that James has in mind? If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. He will also to bridle his whole tongue as well. Anybody? Sunday school answer. One, two, three. Jesus. Yeah, Jesus is the perfect man. Notice, uh, flip back to James chapter 1, verse 26. This is the same word for bridle here. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. It doesn't say it's pretty good. It's almost right. This person's religion is worthless. And so he has these two ends. If you do not bridle your tongue, your religion is worthless. If you can completely control your tongue, wow, you're perfect. Uh, there is this, this, uh, this thing that uh, we can't attain uh, by the power of uh, our wills. Uh, makes a great boast. Um, all right, let's get into the, uh, the next paragraph here, uh, really verses 5 through 12, um, and he has a lot more of these illustrations. He's got bits in the mouth, ships, uh, a fire, 
uh, and springs and uh, fig trees and olives and grapes and, and all of these other things. Uh, and he is trying to get across this idea uh, that there is this monumental propensity toward evil, a, a really um, a destructive ability in the tongue that far outweighs. Not only does the tongue steer, but the tongue has the ability to destroy far beyond uh, its, its small stature in the body. And you think of, I mean, he, he uses this idea of uh, a forest set ablaze. Even in urban centers in the ancient world, they didn't have a whole lot they could do if fire broke out. Um, you know, you, you get a bucket brigade, but if, if fire overtakes a city, wow, that's terrible. Uh, and so what happens when marauding bands come in? They burn everything. You know, that's how you destroy a city. You burn it. You think of the great Chicago fire of 1871. Nobody really knows how it started. They know it started somewhere in a wooden barn, but because the the ground was so marshy and swampy, the whole city was built up on wood and sort of pillars and logs and things. Uh, and it burned for three days. Uh, it destroyed 3.3 square miles of property, and it killed more than 300 people, but left one-third of the total population homeless. Around 300,000 people living in Chicago in 1871, and over 100,000 of them were without homes after three days of a fire. This is what James has in mind. Uh, the tongue is a fire. How great a forest is set ablaze by so small a fire. Uh, so what grabs you here is he's talking about this propensity, this ability for the tongue to far outstrip its size in, in destructive capacity. What grabs you in that second paragraph? Yes, yes. Yeah, the tongue is directing. Absolutely. Uh, this idea of the tongue as a fire is a pretty common theme in the Bible. Um, can I get somebody to grab Psalm chapter Psalm 120, verses 2 through 4? Psalm 120, who's going to get it? Anybody. Thank you, Corey. Psalm 120, verses 2 through 4. And Kathy... Could you grab Proverbs 16.27? I think that's not one of the ones that we've read already. So Psalm 120, verses 2 through 4. Okay. So this idea... Um, a warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Some of your translations might say with burning charcoal or with spruce coals or something like that. Here's the idea of uh, you know, shooting the arrow that has the burning coal in it in an attempt to set something on fire from a distance. And, and that's the way that sometimes our, our tongues can work. You just fire it out there, uh, and really your intention is to scorch somebody, uh, to leave them burnt. And that's what the tongue can do. It can, it can cause incredible harm. Uh, how about, Kathy, Proverbs 16, 27? Okay, so the same idea, that, that it destroys everything in its path. How about this idea, uh, the tongue is a fire, but it's also a world of unrighteousness. What does it mean that he says the tongue is a world of unrighteousness? What do you think? 
By hell, yeah. Yeah, and here's another visual aid that James is giving us. Uh, this word here for hell is Gehenna. Some of you will probably know that Gehenna was the valley just south of Jerusalem, which was the garbage dump. And so you'd take all of your refuse, all of your animal carcasses, everything you had, and you would take it down there and dump it in Gehenna. Uh, and there was so much garbage that was kept continually burning uh, to get rid of, uh, of all of the junk. And so sometimes when Jesus says, uh, where the fire is not quenched and the worm does not die, the sort of rotting, burning, sort of stench place, Gehenna, that's what he has in mind. This is the same word that, uh, that James uses. Now, I think uh, we should rightly see that he is speaking of hell properly as well. Uh, the Bible often uses Gehenna to speak of the powers of Satan, not just, oh, well, you, you went to the garbage dump and you came back and your tongue is, is doing this thing. No, 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 this is sort of a celestial warfare that's happening here, the powers of God and the powers of darkness. And very often the tongue is set aflame, excuse me, by the powers of darkness. No, um, because there is the reality of sanctification. Um, and, and here's something, you know, in, in my own scheme, I want to keep it to the end, and here's the big reveal, but, but let's, let's take it now. Verse 8, no human being can tame the tongue. By our own powers, we are unable to tame the tongue. And I think each of us, as we think of those situations that we were sitting in traffic, and you imbecile, and, and we... we spout out those words, or our kids do something, or somebody at work, and it just, oh, it just comes out, uh, we'd all say, yeah, we, oh, man, we, we can't tame the tongue. No human being can tame the tongue. Um, but here's where I think this last paragraph comes in, and he's really bringing in an idea from the beginning uh, of James. Take a look at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, if you have the King James there, it says conversation, um, it's the same word, they're, they're, it's not actually talking about speech, but it, it's sort of the archaic English word for how you converse in life, good conduct, the things that you do, conduct, conversation. Uh, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Here's the same idea again. If you have bitter jealousy 
and selfish ambition in your heart, it shows up when you start to boast. It comes out of your mouth. Hold on a minute. Uh, and then he tells us, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. So he does expect us to show by our good conduct our works in the meekness of wisdom, but wisdom is not from us, it comes down from above. This is what he said in the beginning of James, uh, James chapter 1 verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. So wisdom comes from above. It comes from the Lord. Uh, let him ask in faith, and then it continues to go on. Um, oh, what's the verse that I was... Uh, look down a little bit further. Uh, verse 16, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Here are several themes that we're seeing. One, what comes down from above? Well, it's wisdom from God. What comes down from above? Well, it's perfect and not shifting and changing. With it we bless our Lord, our Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. From the Father comes wisdom that does not change, and it comes down. And what does he do? He speaks his word of truth to bring us forth. What's the ultimate application of this passage? Lament of our inability and pray that the Lord would sanctify us by his wisdom and his word of truth. We're not consigned simply to say, well, uh, if I can't say anything nice, I won't say anything at all. Uh, and I'll just be quiet for the rest of my life. Because there are things, there are good uses of the tongue that the Lord commands. He commands us to, uh, very often in the Old Testament, to praise the Lord, to sing of his good works, to tell of his excellencies. If we were to go our entire lives and never say a word, and at the end we were to stand before the Lord and say, well, you know, uh, I think I'm doing pretty well because I kept my tongue in check. I bridled my tongue. I was able to bridle my entire body. I never cursed anyone. I never said anything foul of anyone else. I never bore any false witness, any false testimony. I never did any of these things that I was not supposed to do. The Lord would undo us by one question, did you use your tongue to praise the Lord? No. There is a positive aspect to the tongue which is enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's good when he says, with the same mouth, we praise God our Father and we curse man who's made in his likeness. These things ought not to be so. He's not saying get rid of both of them. He's saying get rid of the one that is wrong and increase the one that is good. Well, maybe we're running out of time already, but we'll come back to that in a little bit. So does that answer your question, Jay? No, no we're, not, we're not consigned to this life where we say, oh, woe is me, it's just going to be bad and keep on getting worse until I die. Uh, there is the reality of sanctification. Uh, we have to realize our own abilities. Yeah, go ahead.
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it is. Think of it like the, uh, the injured hip of Jacob. We wrestle with the Lord, and we come to James, and he says, you can't tame your tongue. And it leaves us limping for the rest of our lives, recognizing that the Lord is able to work in us, but we are not. And that's exactly where we need to be, leaning on him. Scott. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but when? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and I think that's a legitimate application for us to think about. Well, not only should we be careful how we teach, be careful how we learn and who we learn from and what we imbibe, um, why do smut novels sell so well? Because people buy them. You know? Uh, because people love them and they buy them up. Uh, and if people stopped buying them, they, they would stop writing. Well, they wouldn't, they'd stop selling them at least. Um, you know, there, there is a correlation here. Now, Rob, somewhere in my tirade when I slipped from teaching to preaching, you had your hand up. Uh, what did you want to add there? Hmm. Yeah. No, no, no. It certainly does not come out through boasting, uh, through going around, let me tell you how smart I am. Oh, man, I studied James 3 so much this week. You're going to be blessed. It's going to be great. Mike. Oh, yeah. I think that's why it's so important for us to daily be renewed our minds to the word of God. Just to constantly be feeding the truth of God. And we'll use our walk. Yeah. It's not a law of thought. No. Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know 
how you ought to answer each person. The New Testament assumes that those who are keeping in step with the Spirit, so if we walk by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, that when He works in our hearts, uh, that this is something that He enables us by His power to do, to keep our speech seasoned with salt and gracious. Uh, But it it comes as we listen to His word of truth. I was looking for the reference, and I can't get it. I could probably remember the song we listened to and sing it to you, uh, but I won't do that. Whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is commendable, whatever is, I don't remember them all. Philippians 4, thank you. Think about such things. How can our speech always be gracious? Well, if we are filling our hearts with God's grace. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so how do you grow into gracious speech? Well, you, you learn to have more grace in your heart, and you go back to God's grace and His Word, uh, which encourages us. Good. Oh, so I handed it out. Let's go ahead and look at it. Um, this world of unrighteousness. Now, uh, I love the Westminster Larger Catechism. Uh, it is nothing if not exhaustive and expansive. Uh, so they're dealing with uh, this commandment, simple commandment, uh, thou shalt not bear false witness. And they take it as an opportunity to talk about what does false speech generally entail and what are some ways that we can, uh, we can get off track with our speech. We are not going to read all these things. But if you want a wonderful thesaurus for the untamed tongue, Take a look at questions 143 through 145. Take a look at that third paragraph here. Uh, The line on the left is about halfway down. It begins with justice and then speaking untruth. What are some of the sins forbidden in the ninth commandment? And they interpret it as speaking untruth, lying, slandering, backbiting, detracting, tail-bearing, whispering, scoffing, vainglorious boasting, thinking or speaking too highly or too meanly of ourselves or others, denying the gifts and graces of God, aggravating smaller faults, hiding, accusing, extenuating sins when called to a free confession, and it goes on. The tongue is a world of evil. There is almost no sin that we could think of that we can't in some way engage in, in with our tongue. Jesus says that if you speak ill of your brother, that is the same as murder. We are seeing, uh, I think someone recently called it a reckoning uh, in the larger culture in which we live because of sexual assault and harassment, because of words inappropriately spoken. We can think of so many different evils and unrighteousnesses, and in some way we can probably trace them back to the tongue. And so here's something that, uh, that we need to be wary of. Um, we've got time for one last comment from Becky. Becky, you're, you're going to take us uh, to prayer and to our break. So what do you got? No pressure.
Yeah. And so if you want to take up the challenge to begin praying about the sin of improper speech, that's a great thing to do. Let me know when you're all done. Because we won't be. Uh, because it will be this thing, this, this thorn in the flesh, this limping hip that we continue to deal with. Um, and we can think about it in so many different areas. But it shows one of these many areas. Where do we need in our lives to be dependent upon the grace of God? Everywhere and here. Here's one example. And we could multiply it many times over. Uh, the things that we think, the things that we desire, the things that we do, the things that we say. Uh, we could think of all of these. Uh, and the Lord gives his grace, he gives his wisdom, he brings us forth by his word of truth. Uh, and so let's pray that he would continue to work in the lives of his people in just that way. Let's pray. Gracious Lord and God, giver of all good gifts, with whom there is never variation or shadow or inconsistency or change, we thank you that you are always the same, yesterday, today, and forever. And we pray that you would give us constancy in our tongues and in our speech to give glory to you, to cause others to see your goodness and your greatness, O oh Lord, to speak well of others whom you have made in your image, not to fall into the sin of partiality, which is something else that James cares an awful lot about, but to speak and to judge with right judgment, and so speak well of others, and to be humble in our speech. Keep us from boasting in vain glory. O oh Lord, keep us always leaning upon you, as you call us to be your people and to be dependent upon your grace. Would you give it in abundance through Jesus Christ and his merit, through the power of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.